Hi, everybody. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous 100 Pounder meeting, 23rd of December 2020. And today we have the lovely Gail N, who is going to share her story. Take it away, Gail. Thank you so much, Rita. Thank you. My name's Gail, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm so grateful to be here today to, um, to share my story. Uh, because there was a, a, a long time in, a, in my OA journey where I never thought I'd have any hope uh, to share again. And today I do by the grace of my higher power. And I am so, so grateful for that. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about what life was like before I came to OA and uh, what my life is like now. And then I'm just going to finish by sharing what I've learned because uh, I've learned quite a lot in OA. And uh, who knows, I might avoid, uh, I might help somebody avoid some of my pitfalls. So, um, so yeah, I had a really happy childhood. There was no outward reason why I should turn out to be a compulsive overeater. My issues with food started when I left home to get married when I was 23. Uh, when I was in charge of food and could buy what I want, could eat what I want, when I wanted, and unsurprisingly, I started to, to put weight on. That was exacerbated by two pregnancies, and both of those pregnancies resulted in me starting the horrendous diet binge cycle, which I know many of you will be familiar with. I was either following a diet to the absolute letter or I was binging my head off. There was no happy medium. Uh, my top weight was 24 and a half stone, 345 pounds. And I think Carol's just going to show um, a, a photograph. Um, I share this to give people hope, but I also um, share that to remind myself where this disease can take me. And I know that in no way was that the end of the line regarding my weight, because I am under absolutely no illusion that I could kill myself with excess food. Absolutely. And even though, thank God, I am really tall, um, I was very incapacitated with my weight, um, especially as I age. So I'm 56 now. And as I turned 50, I really, really started to feel the effects of, of my weight. I struggled to walk any distance. My body constantly ached. I had no energy and my weight was always on my mind. And I think when you are as morbidly obese as I was, you are constantly reminded about your weight because every step you take is painful. Even simple things like turning over in bed at night is a real effort and was painful. And I was constantly thinking, am I gonna break this chair? When we went out for something to eat, are we gonna get sat in a booth that I'm not gonna be able to fit in and I'm gonna to have to ask, can we sit somewhere else? And 99.9% .9 of the time, I was the biggest person in the room. And I'm a healthcare professional by background. And I found that really difficult to be in that environment. I'd often be in meetings where we were talking about public health and I would be sat there morbidly obese. So I had a constant, constant reminder of the excess weight that I was carrying. And one of the, the most difficult things for me was knowing that I was harming myself to that extent and being unable to stop eating. It was absolutely terrifying. And I achieved an awful lot in my life. I got to the top of my profession. I've been married to an amazing guy for 33 years. I've got two fab kids. I've got incredible friends. I've got a beautiful home. I, I genuinely, genuinely achieved a lot in my life, but food beat me every single time. It just 
had me by the throat every single day. And I did a lot of my binging in the evening when I was on my own, when everybody else had gone to bed. And I used to go to bed feeling so physically horrendous. And I would swear that that was going to be the last binge that I was going to have. And I would genuinely in that moment mean it with every fiber in my body. And I would get up in the morning with that same resolution. And then by the time I'd walked in the kitchen, I'd be eating a family sized bar of chocolate for my breakfast. That's how insane I was around the food. And I tried everything, everything to control my weight. I tried slimming clubs. I tried liquid diets. I tried therapy. I tried counseling. I tried hypnotherapy. Uh, I tried acupuncture. I tried Reiki. I must have had over a hundred self-help books. Um, and the insanity was that every time I started something new, I genuinely believed this was going to be it. This was going to be the time I was going to beat it. This is the time that it was going to work. And of course, it, it never did, because fundamentally, I had completely lost the power of choice over food, as it outlines in the big book. Food was my master. And every waking moment, I was either eating or I was thinking about food. That was my life. And I find it really difficult to say this, but food was the most important thing in my life. It came before everything and everybody. It came before my kids, it came before my hobby. Um, it was the most important thing in my life. And as a consequence, I lived in constant fear, shame, self-loathing, self-pity, anger, resentment, and I never, ever felt good enough. And that was my life outside of OA before I came into OA. So I came into OA in 2008 and I was so glad that we said it at the beginning of the meetings, you know, try six meetings if you're a newcomer before you decide if OA is for you. Because I tell you in those first few meetings, I thought everybody was nuts. I thought people were absolutely crazy. And I can remember thinking these people are gonna make me worse talking about being addicted to food. Such was my denial. And although I introduced myself when I spoke, I didn't say the words, I'm a compulsive overeater for about three months. It took me that long to admit that I was a compulsive overeater. I had five years amazing recovery. Uh, I had incredible physical recovery. Uh, I lost 10 stone, 140 pounds. Um, I worked the steps a number of times. I gave service. I was sponsoring. Uh, my life was really, really good. In fact, my life was so good that I forgot I was a compulsive overeater and I forgot the hell of binging and being morbidly obese. It became a dim and distant memory. And I started to think this was a gale job and not a God job. And I put work in front of recovery. I got a job where I was working away from home and I just became a workaholic. And all of the things that I'd done to keep myself well just went out of the window. And I fell spectacularly into a seven year relapse that I thought was gonna kill me. I was utterly, utterly, beaten and I thought I was doomed the the weight went back on very quickly and then some um, and I went back to trying all of those things that I knew didn't work and I knew OA worked but in those seven years I just couldn't connect with OA I was in and out of OA like a ping pong ball I kept thinking I'd surrendered I'd come back in I'd maybe get a couple of weeks under my belt and then I'd be off again and it was just absolutely horrendous and the thing that kept me in my disease was shame. I felt so ashamed of losing my recovery, of putting all the weight back on. It was just horrendous. 
And by some miracle on the 21st of March this year, I came back into the rooms. I've got a really beautiful away recovery buddy uh, that firmly believes that we are prayed in or prayed back into the rooms when we take that moment's silence at the beginning of a meeting to remember the still suffering compulsive overeater. And maybe that happened, I don't know, but something happened on the 21st of March. And the other thing that made a massive difference to me was having Zoom meetings because we were in lockdown then in the UK or just going into lockdown. And somehow that really helped my shame. Um, it, it, it really, really did. And, and I'm not sure I would have got my recovery if it hadn't been for this pandemic. So I knew I had to put my alcoholic foods down. I absolutely knew that. So I, I made a list of the foods that I was going to put down. Uh, I asked uh, one of my fellows, could I, could I commit my food to her until I got a sponsor, which I did. And that helped enormously in the early days. I got a sponsor and my sponsor took me through the big book in a way that I'd never been through the big book before. She took me through the big book line by line, word by word, page by page. And in that book, I found the simple instructions for my recovery. I might try and complicate them. I can make making a cup of coffee complicated, but the instructions in the big book are totally simple. And by the grace of my higher power, I have got recovery on all three levels today. Um, I've lost just over nine stone, 131 pounds, and my body is healing. And that is amazing. I, I genuinely, genuinely thought that my body would never be well again. And my body is healing. And the internal transformation is, is amazing. My emotional and spiritual recovery um, is just incredible. And, you know, I'm very much a work in progress. Some days are tough, but most days I'm, I'm just so grateful for this program. And today, thank God, I know who I am and where I belong. And I am a compulsive overeater and I belong in a way. And the reasons why is, is really, really clear now. And I know that in my heart and soul, and I don't know that I got that in my first recovery. So there's four things that make me different to a normal eater that mean I have to be in a way. The first thing is that I have a mental twist. So my head tells me I need to eat. I also have a physical allergy. So when I start to eat certain foods, I cannot stop until I physically can't eat anymore. I can't differentiate the true from the false. So my head will say, well, just have this one last binge and that's it. You don't need to do it again. Just, just eat that box of whatever and you'll never need to do it again. And of course that's not true, but I believe that in the moment. And then the last thing is that I have a mental blind spot. So the bit of my brain that is wired to keep me safe from walking out in front of a moving car does not work when it comes to food. And in that moment, when my head is telling me to eat, all I can think about is what food is going to do for me, not what it's going to do to me, i.e. take me to a, a, a level of weight that, it, that will kill me. And because of those four things, that is why I need to be in these rooms, because nothing else is going to work, because nothing else addresses all of those four things. So just... Um, before I finish, I just want to share what I've learned, because um, as I said at the beginning, this might help somebody um, not be in the same pitfalls that, that I was in. So the identification I get in a way has absolutely saved my life twice. It saved my life the first time I came into recovery and it saved my life as I came out of relapse because my ego will tell me that I am different to all of you. It will tell me I'm either not as bad as you or I'm worse than you and therefore OA isn't going to work for me. 
And one of the things that made the biggest difference when I came back into these rooms, I did a, a, a workshop in the UK, um, I think it was in my second week, and I heard three wonderful women sharing about their relapse with so much grace, acceptance and humility. I just thought, Gail, you are no different. You are no different to those three women. You're not special. You're not worse than. You're not unique. If you work this program, you will get your recovery back. And I am so, so grateful that I heard that message. I also learned that relapse is a process. It's not an event. There were a number of things that were happening around my relapse that I couldn't see until it was too late. And therefore, I always need to be on the lookout for signs that may indicate that I am about to go into a relapse. And again, I did a, a wonderful workshop on relapse quite early on in my recovery. And I have a dashboard that I've shared with my sponsor so that we can both be vigilant for looking out for some of my behaviours that might indicate I am about to go into a relapse. Um, having a sponsor is so, so important. My sponsor is amazing and she knows me better than I know myself. And she always, always knows the right thing to say. And the honesty with that sponsor is really, really critical. So around the time of my relapse, we'd gone to New York for my son's 21st birthday. And uh, we used to go in a coffee shop for breakfast. And um, I was eating cake for my breakfast, although it didn't have cake in the title but that's what it was to me as a compulsive overeater. And it was exactly the same as the whiskey and the milk story in the big book. So I had a vague sense that what I was doing wasn't particularly smart, but I, I, I was just in denial. And I know that my current sponsor would have been calling me out on that and saying, what on earth are you doing? What are you, what are you eating that for? Um, and that is, is why for me, it is so important to be rigor rigorously honest with my sponsor. Um, I know today that I cannot keep my recovery unless I stay in fit spiritual condition because my default is to be selfish, full of fear, um, trying to control everything and resentful. And that just leads to pain. I can't cope with the pain and therefore I need to eat. Um, and there's just a paragraph in the big book that I'm just going to read to you because this sums up what I'm talking about better than I could. And it's on page 120 uh, towards the end of the chapter to wives. And it says, perhaps your husband will make a first start on the new basis, but just as things are going beautifully, he dismays you by coming home drunk. If you are satisfied, he really wants to get over drinking. You need not be alarmed. Though it is infinitely better that he have no relapse at all, as has been true with many of our men, it is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. And that is exactly what I learned from my relapse, that I have to put so much effort into my spiritual recovery because the longer I'm in recovery, the harder I have to work this program because I forget the horrors of being a compulsive overeater and the horrors of being morbidly obese. I need to be really honest with my food because if I am in the food, then I can't be with God. Um, honesty is so, so important. And there was a brilliant reading in Voices of Recovery yesterday that talked about just that, that if we, if we share what's going on, then it loses, it loses its power. Um, I know that I've got to live in steps 10, 11 and 12 because I have to unblock that channel between me and my higher power because that is the only defense I have against the food. And if that channel is blocked, then I have no defense against the food. So the 10, 11 and 12 is really, really important. 15 minutes, Dale. 
Thanks, Mark. Thank you. And there is something truly magical that happens when I sit down with another compulsive overeater and talk about the big book or talk about recovery. The, the, the step 12 for me has just brought me so much closer to my higher power because it is just magical. I cannot explain it, but it, it just is amazing when we help other people um, and share our experience, strength and hope. It, it is just the most beautiful part of the program for me. Um, my relationship with my higher power, I had to reinvent my relationship because I had a real mental block that the reason I'd relapsed was because my higher power had abandoned me. Of course, that's not true. But in my head, I, it was a real stumbling block. So my sponsor said, well, why don't you just reinvent your higher power? Just just start afresh. And for me, working the steps quickly was important. So, yes, I did them thoroughly. But I knew I had to get to step nine quickly because that is the, the way that I cement my relationship with my higher power. So I worked through the steps in about three months um, and, and that was, was really, really important. I know today that I've only got two, two choices. I'm either in recovery or I try and kill myself with food and that is my truth. And the final thing is just never lose hope because in those seven years of relapse, I, I lost all my hope. I really, really did. But by, by some miracle, uh, I came back, I got recovery. And it, of course, it's just for today. I might wake up tomorrow with a completely different set of ideas uh, that may well put me back in that relapse. But today uh, I, have, I have hope. And then action for me, again, is really, really important because I can be complacent really, really quickly. So I commit my food every evening, what I'm going to eat the following day. That helps me enormously because then I don't think about it again. Uh, I use the tools and I steep myself in a way. And I love things like listening to podcasts. There are some amazing AA and OA speakers. Uh, I get so much. I learn so much out of listening to things like that. I have a sponsor, as I've said, I have to take steps one, two and three every single morning because I wake up untreated. Uh, the working with others is so important and I try and live in an attitude of gratitude because despite having so much in my life, I can still feel that it's not enough and I need something else and I'm looking for the, the latest body product that's going to make me feel better. So an attitude of gratitude is really important. And I live in the big book because the answer to anything and everything in my experience is in the big book. And self-care for me is really, really an important part of my recovery because for whatever reason, I find it really easy to do things that aren't good for me, whether it's, you know, binge watching Netflix, um, losing hours on social media, not getting enough sleep, uh, all of those things, I find it really, really easy to do. So my self-care routine is really, really important. And I try and stay out of my own head because it's a scary place to be. And I try and stay in my hula hoop. In other words, stay out of other people's business. Uh, I'm definitely a work in progress on, on that one. And yeah, so finally, I, I guess for me, the three most important things that I've learned in recovery is that I need to give myself to God every day. My life is no longer my own. It is God's. I need to work with other people and I need to know 
who I am and what tribe I belong in. And thank God I know that today. And I'll just finish with uh, what is my favorite two lines from the big book. And it's on page 199. And it quite simply says, I won't have to drink if I remember one simple thing to keep my hand in the hand of God. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.